because mainlining the secrets of the universe are too important to limit to a mere one episode per week. Welcome to your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Well, time marches on, my friends, and so does the path to financial independence. It is now the month of June 2017. Unbelievable. And yeah, Memorial Day was just here. Had an awesome time. Four-day weekend. Brad, how was your weekend? Yeah, it was really nice. We had a, a just a good family weekend. Took the kids on a hike at this state park that we have been meaning to go to for a while and had some friends in town from New York to visit. And yeah, it was just a good time all around. Yeah, what about you, Jonathan? What did you guys do? I went ahead and took advantage of Sunday and made baby back ribs essentially for the neighborhood. Uh, But it was really an incredible value when you break it down. I got four racks of ribs from Costco. And I think my total investment there was about $52. And then I bought a a variety pack case of beer, Blue Moon, also at Costco, which they have a really good selection right now. Pieced all that together on the charcoal grill. And it ended up taking me like six to eight hours to uh, cook that four racks. There wasn't enough space to do it all at once. But, you know, you kind of triage it and you set it up. And by the end, I mean, I was thinking at a per person per meal. It was around my investment for that sort of meal was around six to eight bucks a person. Just unbelievable when you think about what that would cost to go out. But it was a great time. Everybody came over and just really, really fun. Yeah, that sounds like a sounds like an absolute blast. Wow. How many how many families did you have over? There were eight adults there. Yeah, sounds good. So this past Monday, we had Keith from The Wealthy Accountant, and this was actually his first podcast that he's ever done, and he did it with us. It was really cool. He did a great job, and it's kind of like standing in front of a fire hose and then just saying, I think this is a good idea. Let's do this. And then you just unlatch it, and then you just get washed away in the knowledge, right? Keith is unbelievable. I mean, as you're saying that, I have this huge smile on my face because that's exactly what I was thinking. And uh, my wife, Laura, listened to the episode as well. And and she's a CPA. And I mean, we're just blown away. It, it's it's almost like you said, it's a fire hose. So it's almost a little too much, especially if you're not. Our episode, he talked a lot about small business because that's where a lot of these tax hacks are. And, you know, it, it can be a little overwhelming. But that's the cool thing about a podcast is you can go back and listen to it when it's it's applicable to you. So I, I know I got a lot of value out of it. Laura picked up some things that she's going to use in her own practice. So hopefully a lot of people got some value out of it. If not now, then in the future. And, and I know that is actually the case. We got some feedback from Aubrey, who has a, a blog over at moneyenergyfreedomlife.com and said basically, you know, fantastic episode. Keith peppered me with so many ideas. I immediately replayed the episode. And so far it is just as good, if not better, the second time around. I only wish the episode was longer so we could all benefit from the 
experience and insights he brings. So she's looking forward to the future episodes that we have planned. And she said she really appreciated how his advice was so specific and then how you, Brad, got him to narrow down on specific case studies. Uh, And that level of specificity is very rare, but valuable. So uh, yeah, I know that's one thing, your mentality when we're having these conversations, especially these ones that are so valuable, but also are very complex. I know you make a concerted effort, Brad, to really figure out what does this look like for an individual that wants to take that first step? And then that second step, what does it look like building it from ground zero? Yeah, thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. And that's that's definitely what I try to do is put my put myself in the in the shoes of someone who A is just starting out and B just wants to take action. Right. What does this look like for someone like I, I want them to leave an episode of Choose If I with, OK, here are my marching orders. Here's what I'm going to do tomorrow or next week to make a difference in my life. So, yeah, I mean, I think Keith was phenomenal in this episode. And, and yeah, hopefully some people, especially with small businesses, right? We have a lot of people out there who, if they don't have a business now, they're thinking about it. So I think one of the, the real high level things that he talked about was that S-Corp election mm-hmm. for LLCs. And this is something I've contemplated with my own businesses for a while. And honestly, I've just been lazy. And I haven't done it. And even when I read an article like Keith that says, you know, you can save a couple thousand bucks, it just always seemed like a hassle. But, you know, this actually got me off the couch and is, is making us actually take action. So, yeah, I'm taking action. And, and hopefully a lot of you out there realize this isn't that complicated. You can find an accountant like Keith or, you know, just make some calls in your local area and really ask questions of your of your local accountants. This is not common knowledge. It really isn't. And I know a lot of accountants and Keith is in the top probably 10th of 1%. But you can find people that are, if not as good as him, then then pretty darn close. So it's really incumbent on you to find that top tier accountant. Don't settle for the bozo next door or the guy at H&R Block. I mean, I, I can implicate myself here. Like I am nowhere near the level that Keith is. Like I wouldn't I would not be able to do this stuff because I don't have the passion for it. So it's it's find that accountant with the passion. I think that that's crucial. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, going forward with Keith, guys, he is excited to come back and get to do individual case studies and individual situations. And I think that's going to be the real value. Uh, if you just open it up, there's so many different places you can go. It's hard to get that focus and to dial in on that one thing that you can learn. So send us your ideas, your questions, and we'll continue this conversation year round. And, and I'm excited. And I'll learn from it as well. There's nothing better than a great question. And Gwen said, you know, you touched on it at the end, but I'm curious when you should form an LLC if you're just starting your side hustle, such as a new blog and it's not making money or just very little money. And what are the tax implications for making so little? And Keith has already gotten back to us on that one and said, Gwen, for tax purposes, an LLC is not required from day one of a side gig. There might be legal reasons to do so. A small side gig LLC will default to a disregarded entity, which is a sole proprietorship for individuals and partnership for multiple owners. The tax consequences are nil since tax matters are handed as if there were no LLC, hence the disregarded title. So Keith is super involved. He loves answering these sorts of questions and give us a good one, something that benefits our entire community. And we would love to forward that over to him and get an answer that we can share. And just to jump in on Keith's answer there, he's not saying don't do an LLC. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying for an individual, right? As he's saying, it's disregarded. What that means is this information doesn't get recorded on a LLC or a partnership tax return. Okay. It just gets recorded on your own 1040. It's actually on the schedule C. So like he's saying, there are no tax consequences. It's handled the exact same way, regardless of whether it's an LLC 
or a sole proprietorship. But there are potentially business reasons. Like he said, there might be legal reasons to do so. There might just be making it seem more official, which is not insignificant, right? I know it only costs, I think, like $100 to have an LLC in the state of Virginia. Many states are, are comparable. And to have the appearance of being a formal legal entity, as opposed to, in my case, just Brad Barrett off the street, that's worth it for $100 for me. So that's a reason to it. But but yeah, as Keith appropriately said, there's there are no tax benefits to doing that for, for an individual. Other comments that we got on this episode, millionaire educator actually popped in to say hi. And he said, I love Keith's solid advice to save 50% of your income and simply invest it in low cost index funds. That's almost an automatic path to wealth. And I really thought that was valuable. You know, we have a tendency and, and I think it's important to do so to make things a little bit more complicated and to flesh out the nuances. But if the only thing you came away with from this show and you never listened to anything else again was to save half your income and invest it in broad-based index funds like BTSAX or a Schwab or Fidelity index fund, you're going to do great. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that I jotted down about the episode as well is and the exact quote that you just said is save half your income and invest in broad-based index funds. It really, it is as simple as that. And I think here at Chooseify, we try to make things simple. So like Jonathan said, we we do dive into the nuance from time to time. But what I think people appreciate about our perspective is that we are just normal middle-class guys. We're not doing anything special. We're just trying to save money, right? And in Keith's case, it is a guarantee that you will be wealthy if you save half your income and invest it in broad-based index funds. So from there, he talks about life hacks and making life better and all that kind of stuff that, that we talk about as well. But man, if you have that as the baseline, you're going to have a very successful life. So I don't really even know what I don't know. That's the problem, right? That's what that's the beauty of this show. You don't know what you don't know until you do. And then you can go do more research. Then you know what to Google, right? But there are some things that I think would be a lot of fun to cover. And one of those would be, when do you decide to actually go ahead and get an accountant? I think that is a, a very valid question to answer. Uh, how to employ your kids if you're a sole proprietorship. So what that would look like. One of the things I think is going to be really cool for second generation fire is everybody considers getting a side hustle. Now, I do not mean a side hustle that is going to make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. If it does, great. I'm, I'm happy for you. But I think that there's value to considering a side hustle, even if it only makes $10,000 a year, $5,000 a year. I think there's value there, both because it gives you an education that you won't get in school. I think it's value there because it gives your kids an education they won't get in school. And I think there's value there because it gives you a way to help your children fund a Roth IRA from the age of six years old. And if we can figure out what that picture actually looks like, I think that y'all will be able to take that and use it in your own lives very easily. So I don't care what that is. I don't care if it's stuffing envelopes, if it's mowing lawns, if it's doing surveys online, if it's creating a blog, if it's creating a product, you can go as far with that or as high level with that as you want. But if we can flesh that out and create some ideas, maybe with Alan, uh, with pop-up business school, we can come up with some ideas for a side hustle. And then if we can figure out how to get those to Keith to help us flesh out how we can get that child's Roth IRA account funded from the age of six, the whole time they're growing up and they're maxing out that Roth IRA, that is going to be such a powerful tool. So I think those are the two pieces of the puzzle that I'd really like to see connected over the next six months to a year. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, that sounds cool. I, I would, I'd love for the audience to chime in with, and as always, send it to us at feedback at chooseify.com. Just what do you want to see Keith talk about? I mean, there's so many different aspects of taxation, of accounting in general, right? I mean, most people don't even know how to 
how to keep track of their books. And we can ask Keith about that. Like if a client came to Keith and said, what is the most efficient way to just keep track very simply of my income and expenses that would help you as my accountant? What would it look like? Right. Like I think there's value in something like that. So if you guys have any questions, definitely shoot it to us. Not even just the questions, but just high level concepts. Just shoot it to us and we'll talk about it with Keith and, and we'll figure out a way to present it to you that that makes the most sense. That is awesome. And you know, I'm actually sitting in my office right now, surrounded in shambles by all of my medical records that I'm trying to come up with a system to organize them currently so that I can hack my HSA account. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking, please, somebody give me a system. Please, somebody give me a system because I'm working on one, but it's garbage. It needs an upgrade. <laughs> All right, guys, so let's go ahead and move on into our next segment here. What we try to do is collect feedback from you on past episodes and get your feedback and also your corrections in some cases as well. And this was from Danielle talking about taxable accounts. And in a past week's episode, we had said taxable savings is really a garbage term. It has a very negative connotation to it, but it actually can be amazing, an amazing vehicle to put your money into once you filled up your other buckets. And Danielle emailed us and basically said, about that conversation, I would suggest that you refer to it instead of a standard savings account as a post-tax account. It's an account that is established with post-tax dollars. What are your thoughts, Brad? Yeah, I like that. That's a very intuitive way to actually understand this. Because yeah, I think I think when we call it, and, and it's not just us, certainly, this is the, the general term, but when you call it taxable savings, that just confuses the heck out of people. So it's more appropriate that this is post-tax. I mean, that's, that's truly what it is. This is just your savings left over just your standard savings in life. So that's already been taxed. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this. I think, uh, I think we can adopt this, Jonathan. What do you think? I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Danielle, you've left your mark on the show for eternity. From here on out, it will be called post-tax savings. Thank you for your contribution. All right. On last week's Friday Roundup, we had a question from the audience about reinvesting dividends. And Dominic actually got in touch via email and said this. He said, regarding episode 24R, I personally don't think one should reinvest dividends automatically if investing in a taxable account, or as we now call it, a post-tax account, as this can complicate tax loss harvesting by creating many tax lots when you sell. So, you know, I wrote back to Dominic and said, that's a very interesting thought, one I hadn't considered. Do you have any go-to articles or sources that, that can help the audience with this? And he sent an article from bogleheads.org, and we'll link to that in the show notes. And just for Further, my answer was, I still think, at least based on the knowledge I have today, for probably 99% of people, it makes sense to reinvest the dividends. But of course, I'm always willing to change my mind if, if new info comes along. So while I still think my answer is accurate for the vast majority of people, I am certainly cognizant of the fact that we have a lot of high-level smart people in here who are going to do this tax loss harvesting. So if that is a consideration for you, then I highly suggest checking out that article that we'll have linked up to in, in the show notes. And as just an aside, if you're interested in our show notes, you can always reach them. If you go to choosefi.com, click on the podcast, or the, really the easiest way is to just quickly get on our email list. You can do that by texting choosefi to 44222, or you can always just head over to choosefi.com slash subscribe. So let's go and have a conversation. This is a second generation fire conversation. And one of the things that we would like to do occasionally going forward as a segment is to highlight a career that really sets you up for a nice, easy FI path. And this week, we want to talk about nursing. 
This has come up over and over again from different guests and from our audience members who think they've really figured something out. And it's worth just taking a second to to go over some of these ideas with you, because even if you're in a specific career and you're already set on your choice and you're not going to change it, I, I'm in the same place. I've, I'm past that point. Second generation fire is looking to their mentors, their parents, and you are positioned to help guide them towards these choices. And if FI is a reality for your family, it's a reality for you and it's a reality for your kids, certainly a career that sets you up for the fast track to that is a conversation we need to have. So let's talk about nursing, Brad. Let's do it. So first I'm gonna go ahead and basically this is gonna be a string of thoughts from different people in our community. And this first one's from Amika who has a blog at beatsandlilacs.com and says, I love your show, even the opening music. You recently asked the audience about good career options for those pursuing FI. I would strongly recommend nursing. Many nurses work with just an associate's degree although having a four-year degree is helpful. There are many different types of jobs, which keeps things interesting, and it's easier than many careers to relocate. You can work a nine-to-five schedule, weekends, nights, or part-time. As a hospital nurse, I work three 12-hour shifts a week, and it is very easy for me to have six consecutive days off without using any vacation time. It is hard for me to imagine having to work five days a week. Nurses can also make very decent money. They have access to some of their retirement accounts that teachers have, such as 457s. There's also the option of travel nursing, which could be a good way to travel while earning money. And there are further tax benefits. And best of all, nursing can be a very satisfying job. So I think that is a great way to get the conversation started. I have a few other thoughts from some other people in our audience. Uh, Vicki wanted us to know that she's been an RN for 10 years, all working per diem. So I have complete control over my schedule. Minimum shift requirements is four eight-hour shifts a month. I frequently work 40 hours over a three-day weekend and then take long stretches of time off. My employer is a public hospital in the Bay Area with a base pay of $85 an hour and up to 20% differential depending on the shift work. Oh, and they have a 457B. So for me, nursing makes five possible. Those are some really good thoughts, guys. Uh, This conversation is getting started and it's getting continued week round on our page and on our Facebook group where we get to constantly bounce these ideas off each other and make them part of our lives and figure out how to explain them to others. That That's what's happening every single day on this show. And, and it's very rewarding. If you have another career that you would like to see highlighted on the show, send us your ideas, feedback at chooseify.com or go to our Facebook page and and let us know your thoughts. This is really what we live for and and it's fun to talk about. It's fun to talk about these ideas and just think about things that you had never really considered before. Right, Brad? Yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. And and you actually brought up something there that, that we wanted to announce here on the show today is that we just formed a Facebook group. So this is a private Facebook group for Choose FI. And and even though we just started in the last week, we already have 300 people in that group. And it's amazing. I mean, there are dozens of conversations a day and it's, it's a nice private place for us to all do what we've been talking about here, which is establish a community. Even though, like I said, it's, it's only existed for a couple of days, it feels like it's existed forever. People are sharing information back and forth. They're asking questions, answering questions. It's really a cool thing to see. So the way to get in there is to head over to choosefi.com forward slash Facebook. Okay. And there'll be a quick little opt-in. You'll send us your email address. We'll shoot you an email and that'll have the link to the private Facebook group. So it should take about 20 seconds to get in there. And then, yeah, we'd love to have you as part of the community. I think that's the best way to take this from a two day a week, us talking at you, albeit with a lot of community involvement to a seven day a week community. 
And that's, that is what we really want. And we thought this was the perfect time to start this group. It was, it wouldn't have made sense four months ago when frankly, we didn't have as big of an audience. And now there's this groundswell and we see it every day with the emails you're sending us. And this is the time. So head over to choosefi.com forward slash Facebook and please join us. We'd love to see you there. And I cannot stress how excited I am about that. It, it feels like home. Like if you've been looking for a place to, to get your ideas off your chest and see what other people think about them or just to learn other fi hacks, life hacks, this I've never seen anything like it. And I've been a part of a lot of Facebook groups. And this one for me is fire on, on all cylinders. And I check it, you know, eight to 20 times a day just to see if there's something new that I can contribute or something that I can learn. And and it's not just me and Brad that are in there. I mean, you have Joel and Alexis from Fi180.com that are in there. Jason from Winning Williams that are in there. Noah from Money Metagame is in there. Alan is in there from Pop-Up Business School. Sun Wu is in there. I mean, these guys are extremely high level thinkers and they're engaged, man. Just like we are, we want to share our ideas and we want to learn from you. And you know, you can get a part of this group. You're literally part of the show because this is where these ideas get fleshed out and brought to life. And then the show is where we present the culmination of these ideas. All right. So last week we mentioned Camp Mustache down in Florida this coming January 2018. And the tickets sold out within a couple hours. So which is awesome. We can't wait to meet you guys. And we probably should have told Steven the organizer before we announced it. But this point that's kind of neither here nor there but there is still a waiting list and it's conceivable that another event might open up around that time not positive by any stretch of the imagination but if you are interested in still coming to camp mustache go to choosefi.com forward slash camp and you can still sign up for the waiting list just to let Steven know there is still demand for this. So, and you never know, he might be able to put together another event and make it happen. And I will just say there is, there is real value to connecting with people on a personal level that share the same framework, the same philosophy, just doing things just a little bit smarter than the rest of your neighbors. And it's just fun to be able to be a part of a community and to get to meet people that are like minds and, and share their ideas, their stories. And, and I had a blast doing it. And and Stephen just does an amazing job organizing and setting these things up. Just a genuinely amazing person. And it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So I actually, like I've mentioned before, I have a lot of FI conversations in real life now, which is amazing. I, I have just like a ton of family and friends actually listening to this podcast and, and just devouring it every week and sending me emails or giving me a call. And I actually saw a good buddy of mine, Justin, who uh, lives in New York City, but he was down in Richmond for the the long weekend. And what I didn't realize, he had gotten together with a bunch of college friends the night before, and they were chatting about about the podcast, actually, which is crazy to me. And they were talking about the pillars of Phi and the $2 per person per meal. And the reflexive answer was, that is impossible. And they were going on and on and on about how that's just not doable. And actually, Laura wrote up an entire list of our our past week's food and it's pretty it's pretty interesting this was like a just a really straightforward week for us and i think what we came to the conclusion was we can do $3 per person per meal in our sleep. I mean, that is like the easiest thing in the world. And that was even like in this past week, we had prepared meal. It's one of those say it ain't so type things because I, I've talked about these, but but at Wegmans, they have these fantastic prepared meals that are actually really inexpensive. So we got this chicken cacciatore from them, which is one of the best meals I've had in a long time. And it's like, it's like $14, which sounds like a lot, but 
to me, it's about like portion control, right? So whereas the old me would have just devoured half of that and it would have been seven bucks per person, we essentially divided it into quarters and then it was 350 per person. So something, a simple little hack like that, like I found in our little Fi game, like how Joel and Alexis talked about making games out of saving money. One of our little games comes down to portion control and it's just not overeating. And the way that we, that we make it fun is that we say like, all right, if you take seconds here, that ruins an entire leftover because there just simply wouldn't be enough for that second dinner for the two of us. So if I can then cut the cost per meal in half just by making that one tiny little decision, that's something I'm going to make a hundred times out of a hundred, you know, the right way. So not only am I saving money, but this goes back to our, our skinny waist fat wallet episode, which is you're actually eating less and you're being healthier. So, you know, this was an instance where this past week we had tacos that Laura made like beef and chicken one night. And that was good for three separate nights. She just made extra. It doesn't, it doesn't take any more time to make an extra pound of, of beef. It just cooks there, you know? So you're just standing over the stove. And you know, that really is another aspect of this too, is, is being a efficient, right? That's what I always talk about when it comes to meals is if you're cooking seven times a week, you're doing something wrong. It's just so much more efficient. It just makes your life so much easier. We all complain about being busy. Well, make a meal that's good for at least two nights. Three would be better. I mean, that's, it's just not that hard. It doesn't take that much more time to, for that one cooking. And then you have leftovers for two extra nights. So anyway, long story short is this past week we had, it was six nights of dinner that Laura cataloged here and it cost us $33 in total for the two of us, which is approximately $2.75 per meal. So that was amazing. And that's a pretty standard week for us. If we wanted to go cheaper, we could, but I, we eat like kings. And you know, my, my buddy Justin and his wife, you know, she was saying like, what do they eat? Do they eat like spaghetti all the time? I mean, are they eating, are they healthy? I mean, I would argue just similar to Winnie from Go Curry Cracker, I would argue that Laura is on her way to, to being an elite level chef. I mean, she's phenomenal. And it's just, so we're not sacrificing in any way, shape or form. We're eating delicious, home-cooked, top quality meals. And yeah, I mean, $3 per person per meal, again, we could do in our, in our sleep. So I think that's very plausible for everyone out there. That is amazing. And it strikes me at so many different levels. First of all, one, that it is doable, that you guys not are just, you're not just doing it once, but you're doing it for an entire week. You'll be able to replicate those numbers. Two, the portion control is, is so critical and it's probably a weak spot in my own life in that I don't spend enough time being okay with a certain amount of portion. I don't think about that as another way to win. Uh, I'm able to do it very easily when we pre-portion things out. My wife will make things in bulk and she'll pre-portion and into tens or Tupperwares or whatever else. And I'll take that portion with me to work, no problem. But when I have downtime, a lot of downtime at home, and I'm just given a large, there's a large container in front of me, I tend to lose that. And I think the thing there, the disconnect is that intentionality. What is the plan? Are you eating mindlessly? Are you actually thinking about what you're actually eating? And, and you kind of know when you're going from grazing to when you're actually eating with a purpose. And I think that one of the little life hacks there that you can implement is, how much water are you drinking? So, you know, if you find yourself constantly eating and moving from one food source to the next and blowing through that portion and then moving on to the next one, but you're not drinking any water, that may be a weak spot in your in your plan. So just, you know, think about how think about that. I think there's something there, not just from a frugal perspective, but also from a fitness and waistline perspective. Cause if you don't need it, you don't need to work it off, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And yeah, just as a, a kind of an, an aside, another reason to join the Facebook group, if you didn't already have enough, is that Laura 
is going to be posting a bunch of her recipes in the Facebook group. So I know we're trying to convince her to uh, to get the top 50 list together and to post some of these recipes. And it's yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot easier for her to do in the Facebook group. So we already kind of teased one that we had our, our favorite meal that she makes. And it was similar to what you were talking about, Jonathan, with portioning out. Right. So this was like the perfect example, which was Laura knows that it, it's about four chicken thighs for two of us to have this chicken shawarma for for dinner. And she makes just fantastic, right? It's on this non bread that we get from Trader Joe's and with all these extra toppings, this tzatziki dip she makes. And it's approximately four chicken thighs for the two of us to have dinner for a night. So she cooked 12. And like I said, it was we had the four. And while I was I could have theoretically eaten more because I'm a pig and I love to eat, uh, I, I didn't because I knew if I had even one extra bite, it would screw up the next night's meal. So that was just a real simple, you know, math. Hey, we need we need four per meal. We have 12. Here's three dinners. I'd much rather have that third delicious chicken shawarma meal that I'm looking forward to in two nights than just have a little bit extra. So, yeah, long story short is. Yeah, she's definitely going to post these in the Facebook group. So stay tuned. And and as we always talk about, this is a community. So this is not Laura dictating on high what's what's good for the Phi community. We want to hear your recipes. What kind of delicious, inexpensive recipes do you guys have that can make a decent amount? Just come and join the Facebook group and share them. I think that's what this is all about is just sharing these life hacks that make our lives easier and more efficient and help us save money. So, yeah, definitely join. So you ready for a frugal win of the week? Yeah, go for it. All right. So Jake says the problem is packed school lunches. My children do not eat the fruit we pack them unless it's this expensive pouches of applesauce, which also produce a lot of trash. Last week, I spiral cut and cored an apple for each of them, packed them in a little reusable tub that we got from a to-go container, and the kids ate them up. The apples are fun to eat because they can stretch it out like a spring and it feels more like eating a chip than biting an apple. The peeler attachment folds out of the way if you don't want to peel it. I leave the peel on. I had this idea that it was a pain to clean, but it's actually just a quick rinse. And now I have the satisfaction of getting my children to eat healthier, cheaper, and use less packaging. And yes, they've been mostly returning the Tupperware. He found it on Amazon. They're about 15 bucks a pop. And I went ahead, guys, and I got the link for y'all. So I'll post that on the homepage. As it happens, I actually have that. And I got it from my grandmother. And I, for about a three-month period of time last year, was using it every single day because I was getting that much of a kick out of actually getting the spirals and I've gotten away from it. But you know, as I have a child now and I can imagine them being in a similar position, I will break that thing back out. And it really is a lot of fun. It turns eating apples into going from an apple a day keeps the doctor away to actually a fun game. So really, really cool. So I actually had a frugal one of the week, but it, it's kind of an unorthodox one. I, I don't love buying gadgets. Certainly. I don't really love buying all that much of anything, but especially gadgets gadgets because it just kind of fills up the house and it's it's a real big pain in the butt. So I, as I mentioned before, I signed up for Tim Ferriss's uh, email list and he has this thing called Five Bullet Friday where he sends out just a couple of things that he's he's getting a lot of value out of that week. And one of them was this uh, this egg cooker. Okay. It's called the Dash Go Rapid Egg Cooker and we'll link to it in the show notes certainly. Uh, it's a super easy way. He said it's the easiest way he's ever found to cook hard boiled eggs. And now I am a huge fan of hard boiled eggs, but if, if you guys ever cook them, they're a big pain in the butt, right? It's, you never know if you get the timing right, you have to boil water, you have to peel the darn things, which are just 
ridiculously impossible. And for me, that was just an impediment to, to making them and making egg salad or something like that every week. And I wound up buying this thing. It was like 17 bucks, which really wasn't bad at all. And though I did think about it, I, I still didn't love spending the money for a gadget, but I uh, tried it. And not only was it the easiest thing in the entire world to make hard boiled eggs, but they were the most delicious. It was the most delicious egg salad I've ever had. Now, the frugal win here is that what I normally do for my breakfast is I have a Quest protein bar, that and some carrots, some cauliflower, and that's pretty much my breakfast every single morning. But if you guys know anything about Quest bars, they're like $2 per bar. And this is like my one kind of expensive food item, which sounds ridiculous to say. But now instead of that, what I'm doing is I'm substituting at least twice a week, a little bit of egg salad. And now eggs cost about five cents per egg at this point. So for my normal two egg breakfast, that's 10 cents as opposed to my $2 Quest bar. So I'm saving almost $4 per week and this was a $17 item. So literally in a month, I've broken even. And from there on, it's literally money saving. I mean, so while it sounds silly to say that, that you're actually saving money and there's a break even point on a frivolous little thing for your kitchen, like this was a big win for me. And I, I spent a lot of money on these Quest Bars. So this is not insignificant. And frankly, I'm getting a little extra variety in my in my diet and it's, it's good stuff all around. Nice. That's awesome. I have a frugal fail. I went to Kroger, bought my wife some tea the other day and then forgot to put in my Kroger phone number or my Kroger savings rewards card. I got home and I realized that I'm sure I had paid at least an extra two to three dollars total frugal fail <laughs> boo <laughs> it really caused me some mental agony when i got home and realized it <laughs> all right guys in our next segment we're excited to introduce you to a new in-house expert and this in-house expert is going to be walking us through the very murky world of student loans and i don't think there's really a better way of doing this other than just playing this voicemail that we got and this is from mark resnick who has a blog over at studentloanfreedom.com Hi, Brad and Jonathan. This is Mark Resnick with Student Loan Freedom in Richmond, Virginia. And I'm calling today to try to share some of my perspective and, and to give you a hack. And really, my perspective on this is from a side of federal student loans and student loans that's not really within my expertise, but because I've already put two kids through college and because my expertise is helping people who have already graduated save a lot of money by understanding every federal loan program, then I understand what this hack is all about. And, and here is my advice. My advice and my hack for the day is for those people first looking at putting their kids through school and wanting to save money for those kids, being tempted by the government BS telling you to put your money tax-free into a 529. Now, I understand that this is what the government is suggesting you do. But let me tell you, everything about this college thing, everything that's government related with this college thing is so screwed up. Like, why would you listen to this one too? Okay, it's tax-free money is what they're telling you, and it'll go toward a college. It's earmarked, and it'll go toward a college. But my hack is take the money that you would put into a 529 and overfund a permanent life insurance policy. By overfunding a life insurance policy, the extra money that you're going to put into that goes to savings, cash savings, and it does not count against you for financial aid. That's my, that's my problem. 
My problem with a 529 is that the more money your kid has in his name, his or her name, when they go to school, then the less money the federal government is going to offer your kid. Why should your kid be offered less money than somebody else because you worked your butt off to put money into a 529 program? That just doesn't sit right with me. So don't put your money into a 529 and then stop the federal government from offering your kid funds. Put your money into a good name, whatever that name is. There's lots of big brands out there. I'm not an insurance guy. I'm not selling insurance. And I'm pretty much not all about permanent life insurance, but I am for this purpose. Overfund the hell out of a permanent life insurance policy. Leave it in your name. Put it in your kid's name, whatever it is that you want to do. But the money will not be used. It will not count against you to financial aid. It'll not come up on the financial aid questions. You could always borrow money out of that out of that product tax-free by borrowing, by taking a loan out of the cash value of that account so that you don't have to worry about it. When you reach whatever that age is, you know, they'll give it to you tax-free. Again, I don't know all the rules of that permanent life insurance policy, but I do know that if you put your money into a 529, then you're going to eliminate that federal funding possibility. And, and I'm trying to allow you to get every federal dollar that's available. Also, while we're at Hacks and talking about funding, before your kid gets into college, do not take out private loans. Private loans are horrible for your kids or you. Worse, if you take out a Parent PLUS loans, as I vomit in my mouth, do not take out Parent PLUS loans. It's poison. Find a different school. Have your kid find some other way of going to school without taking out private or Parent PLUS loans. Borrow every dollar possible on the federal loan program. There's lots of great programs once the kid graduates to figure out an affordable payment and hopefully forgiveness at the end at some point in time. This is Mark Resnick, Student Loan Freedom, Richmond, Virginia, with today's hack. Thank you. You don't know what you don't know until you do. And I think Mark probably has a better handle on how the federal student loan programs work than either of us do at this point. Now, in a perfect world, we would like to set up our families to already have all the money ready for second generation fire. And there may be a play here uh, that I don't know how it works. Frankly, I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how this would work to hack the FAFSA. And part of that may be sheltering some of your money uh, from the FAFSA by parking it inside of a vehicle like Mark is describing. We just got the conversation started today, and I don't think that this puts a period on it. Rather, we're just opening it up and we're figuring out where it goes, and we'll be able to put this together. The other half of that is if you are already in the federal loan program or you already have it, I think Mark is the one that could really help us game this thing out and show you what your options are for squirming your way out of it down the road. Yeah, so I totally agree with with that second part. The the first part, I I just want to mention, like we have not done our research on on this, so I am not a hundred percent sure that putting it in permanent life makes the most sense. But I think the conversation is important, and together with Mark and with other experts we have, and you know the community that we have here, I think we can 
really get this conversation on student loans going and really drill down to what the best answer is. I'm not sure that this permanent life insurance for members of the FI community is an, is an absolute slam dunk. But, but again, it's thinking about a problem a little differently, which is not just, as Mark's saying, reflexively putting your money in a 529. So I am on board with that aspect of it. I am not at this point willing to completely say I, I agree with putting it in a permanent life, but that's largely beside the point. I think Mark brings up great points. I'll be honest. You guys have heard how sketched out in general I am by uh, any other life insurance other than term life insurance. But Edmund, who I've told you before, is one of the highest level five thinkers on the planet, has said there is some value there, but it's not the value that the insurance salesman try to get you to sign up for. Uh, it's um, behind the scenes looking at the problem a little bit differently value. And so I think I'm going to send this whole conversation over to him just to get his input and see if maybe Mark is onto something that I had never considered. And maybe Edmund can help us flush that that out as well. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, I like that a lot. I don't want to make it sound like I, I think Mark is incorrect here. I, I don't know. And, you know, I, I don't want to explicitly state that that we're on board with this without without doing the research. But, yeah, I mean, if Edmund and, and Mark can work together and, and come up with an answer, then that's that's a huge win. And I wouldn't be surprised if Edmund took this from where let's say it's at the 20 yard line. I wouldn't be surprised if Edmund went ahead and, and rushed this thing into the goalpost because he has a way of figuring things out that really shouldn't even be possible. And I think his his second point on avoiding the private loans that that's very interesting. And I actually met with Mark, uh, this past week, a friend of a good friend of mine connected me with him and, and just said, he is a real expert on student loans and, and helping people navigate this, this really complex system, which a lot of people just don't know the rules. And again, what we always talk about here is at choose if I is once you know the rules, you can learn how to utilize them to the best of your possible ability. So I think that is where Mark is going to come in handy as a real expert here on understanding student loan forgiveness programs. There are, he, as he described to me, I, I had no idea any of this stuff. And he's describing all these loan forgiveness programs, especially for, as we've talked about with like Millionaire Educator, with teachers and firefighters and police and all public employees. He said, Mark said that the, the people with the best options are those public employees. So what we're going to do actually is Mark's company and it's student loan freedom of Virginia. He, he wanted me to reiterate because evidently there's some sketchy company, I think out in California that has a similar name. So he wanted to, to be sure, but we want to open this up to the audience to, to kind of test out Mark's service. So if there's anyone out there that especially is a public employee that has student loans, it can be a significant amount, a moderate amount, whatever it may be, shoot us an email at feedback at choosefi.com and just let us know that you're interested in potentially working with Mark. And we're going to help facilitate this entire thing. You know, he accepts no payment before it is entirely locked down and you, you see exactly what benefits. So he's going to work on your behalf to basically find out how you can maximize. And just to be clear, we have no monetary relationship here with Mark in any way, shape or form. So we just want, if this is something that can benefit our community, we want to 
tell you guys about it. So, but we really need to have this one test subject to go through and figure out what this process looks like, how much money you can save, and hopefully come on and, and give a, a quick testimonial or you know voicemail of, of how the service was. And then we can open it up to the entire community and just say, you know, Mark is our guy for student loans. So, you know, again, just if you're interested in, in working with him and working with us on this, uh, shoot us an email. So thank you. So the overarching theme here is that we want to figure out the student loan situation. One, we want to know once you already have them, which describes most of first generation fire, how to get rid of them as quickly and efficiently as possible. The second half of this conversation is how to avoid them altogether. And that's my second generation fire conversation. And that's where you guys can help us because many of you did figure that out. You figured out something that I didn't figure out until much later. And you've perfected something that maybe I'm not even aware of. And Brad's not even aware of. So this second voicemail is from Bryce, and he has some amazing information to contribute to this particular conversation. You ready for this, Brad? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Brad and Jonathan. This is Bryce Imhoff, and I wanted to share a few strategies that I used to hack college. I graduated just a little over two weeks ago from the University of Arkansas, an SEC member school with zero debt and a total of $47,209 in scholarships and federal grants. I continue to hear you guys talk about trying to figure out how to hack college, and I think I might have some valuable feedback for you on this subject. My tuition was roughly $32,000 or $4,000 a semester, and my parents paid for three out of my eight semesters in school. I decided to get married during Christmas break in my sophomore year, which required us to completely separate from my wife and I's parents' financial support. I then went on to receive $41,209 of scholarships and aid in my last five semesters of school. You guys have talked a lot about hacking the fast on the show, and I think there's tremendous value there, but one of the most overlooked sources of aid in universities around the country is current student scholarships through your university-specific college and major. My university offered a current student scholarship that required you to submit a resume, write one or two short essays on some broad topic they assigned, and get a few recommendations from an advisor or professor. I received a total of $20,619 in merit scholarships after my sophomore year of college just from applying in a broad general pool of scholarships. I submitted one application for the university-wide current student scholarship, one for Fulbright College, the liberal arts college on campus, and one for the political science department. My junior year, I only received $2,174 in merit scholarships, but I hacked the FAFSA to make up the difference. My senior year, I went through the exact same process of scholarship applications, and I received $17,445 in merit scholarships, over half of the entire cost of my degree in one round of applications. The key to successfully getting current student scholarships is a really competitive GPA and student leadership and involvement on campus. I had a really high GPA, and I worked a few different jobs on campus that put me in everyday contact with professors and advisors. These jobs paid well above minimum wage, and there are countless jobs like this on campus if you really want to get them. Another advantage is that a very small percentage of people apply for current student scholarships, and even less apply for departmental scholarships. If you can keep your grades up and stay disciplined each year, you set yourself apart a little more and become more competitive, especially within your major slash department, which explains my jump in scholarships from my junior to senior year. The second part of how I hacked college was the FAFSA. Because I was married, our parents' income was no longer required on our FAFSAs, which allowed me to qualify for basically all federal grants available to me. When my merit scholarships were combined with my federal grant aid, I was being paid $10,000 cash per semester after all tuition expenses had been paid my senior year. So in summary, take school seriously and make good grades. Merit scholarships are based on merit. Get an on-campus job during the year slash summer that puts you in contact with influential people. 
If it's possible, go to a public university. I paid $32,000 for tuition for four years versus roughly fifty to 60000 for a private university. Apply for every student scholarship you can. There is much less competition when applying for scholarships in college versus applying from high school, and your ACT or SAT scores don't matter. And lastly, and I think this is most important, have some skin in the game. My parents were high-income earners, and I was happy to let them pay for school without any effort on my end. I honestly had a little bit of an entitlement mindset, and staring at potentially $20,000 in student loans lit a fire under me to go make it happen. All right, guys, thanks again for all the hard work on the website and podcasts, and I hope this provided some value. Thank you, Bryce, so much for sending your thoughts in. That is extremely value-added. To be honest with you, I've always been skeptical of scholarships on a mass scale. And that is my own weaknesses and my own inabilities to be able to visualize that actually working. And I realize now as I'm approaching, you know, as I'm in my thirties and I'm approaching everything from this optimized path, if I just had a single person be able to model that for me, if I just understood what the process looked like, if I just had someone like ESI show me that you do this one little thing, one step at a time, how achievable that really is. And I saw a uh, a news article that was recently shared on Twitter from Stacking Benjamins. And it was basically this one girl had qualified for over $7 million in student loan scholarships, $7 million from 48 different universities and had her pick. And it's just what if you had someone model that and you knew what the process was and you don't do all the applications at once. You just do one little thing at a time, one step at a time. What if there was a systematic process that you could use? And instead of you even getting a summer job, you coach your child through that process and they work on that one bit at a time over the course of the summer. And instead of making the one or $2,000 or $3,000 they make from work working at the pool over the summer, they earn $7 million in scholarships. That's the value of looking at this problem just a little bit differently. And that's the value of what Bryce is contributing to this conversation. Yeah, I love that. And I'm definitely going to get my kids on this in, you know, whatever, seven or eight years when my oldest daughter is, is getting ready to go to school. And I think back similar to you, Jonathan, I think back to when I was in high school and, and even college, like like Bryce is saying, I was just so stupid and lazy just because I didn't know this stuff. And I could have, at the time I was in high school, probably qualified for full tuition merit scholarships at many, many colleges. But it just, it didn't cross my mind, as stupid as that sounds. Like I was so focused on Ivy League schools and things like that. And and I, I did wind up getting accepted to some of those places. But, but man, like when you look back on life and you say like, who the heck cares about that stuff? If I could have gotten a full merit scholarship somewhere, how could you not do that? And, and I didn't even look into it. I mean, how criminal is that? And yeah, I mean, this, this is huge. And, and like you said, it's, it's looking at that problem differently. So I hope that people have the drive that Bryce does and I hope my kids do, and I hope I can, I can help facilitate that. And I think I even have an extra piece to add to this looking back now. When I was at the point where I was in school and it was time to apply for scholarships, I think it was already too late at that point because I hadn't done anything. So suddenly I decided, oh, I need to start looking at scholarships. But at that point, it is too late, right? You need to have documented. And again, it goes back to our conversation with career hacking and ESI. It is all about accomplishments. And so if you know that, if you have someone model it for you and you know, I have this three-year window going into the time where I need to start applying for these 
scholarships, I need to have some accomplishments. I need to have something that I can talk about. I need to have something that I can write about. And you start setting up this three-year track before you start applying for them. With that construct in mind, this problem gets a lot easier. And I don't know. I, I think there is really something there. And one of the ways that, that I've found that helps me to organize my thoughts is through a blog. And whatever that looks like for you, getting in the habit of thinking about your life in terms of accomplishments, albeit small ones, right? I volunteered at the library. I did this. I did that. I was able to contribute to my community in these different ways. Not that you do it all on day one or you do it on one weekend. You just do what ESI said. You essentially apply the networking principles to your high school years and to your formative years. And your parent helps you set that up because this is a second generation fire conversation. They know what it needs to look like. So they tee you up for those activities. You are guaranteed to win this game. So next, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a couple minutes and we're going to talk about Paul's case study. Some of you guys are really enjoying this. And I know that because you've asked me, when is the next part coming? You guys are stalling. And yeah, there may be a little bit of something there. But we're excited to go ahead and go through Paul's Excel sheet now and talk a little bit about a few of his expenses and how we can view those in terms of his working career now and what those might be after his working career is over. So Brad, I have Paul's Excel sheet pulled up in front of me. Do you got it in front of you as well? I do. Let's go ahead and take a look at this. So Paul's already done the heavy lifting on this for us. So what he did is he went ahead and tracked all of his bills for 2016. And then from there, he went ahead and projected it out to whether or not it would increase or decrease as accurate as he possibly could because he's forecasting in his post-fi life. And so what we've done is then take the time to go through these one line item at a time and look at his explanation of why they might increase or decrease. And then we have our own comments to maybe add onto that, whether or not that looks reasonable or whether or not maybe there's anything that we can add to that. So first of all, I think the number one thing, just to set the stage here, Paul's spending in 2016 came to $73,000. So that is, you know, he set this perimeter of what he thought he might like to have in a post-fi world. And he projected that his spending in 2016 was at 73,000. So he wants roughly $70,000 a year in spending available to him, which is what the whole scenario was based off of. Is that reasonable? Having said that, by Paul's own admission, in his post-fi life, many of these expenses go down dramatically and we'll go through those one at a time. So first off, his bills, cable and satellite. In 2016, he spent $1,500 on his cable and satellite package. He anticipates that that's going to go down to $1,000 a year in his post-fi life. And so he has just cut the cable. Uh, he's just going to have the internet plus for about $65 a month, plus about $25 a month in subscription services. So right out the gate, because of some of the suggestions that maybe we've had, he is cutting $500 a year from his budget there. For his automobile, gasoline. In his working career, he was spending $2,100 a year in gasoline, but you know, obviously they're both going to be at home. So there should be, they don't need to commute to work five days a week. So there's should be a pretty dramatic decrease there. He estimates that that will be at least a $600 a year savings there. And I agree with that assessment. His cellular bill, they have three. He spent $2,000 a year on his cell phones last year. Uh, they have three phones. Uh, the monthly bill has been cut by $65 in the last six months. And now they're looking at other options such as Ting, Freedom Pop. I would also add on to those uh, Republic Wireless and Project 5. If he hasn't considered those, there's certainly a way to decrease that. I would imagine the bar for cell phones, if you're looking at this and you're, and you're willing to get rid of your premium service, you could probably get your cell phone service for sub $60 a month. Somewhere in that range seems totally doable to me. What are your thoughts, Brad? Yeah, for the three of them, that's $60 a month. So yeah, I think that's reasonable. And yeah, like we've talked about, I think on the Pillars of Phi episode, it's just just like anything with Phi. It's 
not expecting perfection. It's understanding that you have to make maybe a tiny, tiny little sacrifice to save a boatload of money, right? So for my cell phone, we have Republic Wireless and our bills come out between 12 and $16 a month, depending on the amount of data that we use. But we're just a little bit smarter than the next guy. So it's not streaming Netflix or downloading podcasts when I'm off of Wi-Fi right? That uses data. But when I'm in my house, I can do anything that I want on my phone because it's over Wi-Fi and it doesn't use data. So it's just being a little bit smarter. We're not talking about major things here. And I think I think Paul can extend that to a lot of these different aspects as, as Jonathan's going to continue with. Yeah, absolutely. So then another one on here, he had a, a line item for job expenses, non-reimbursed. He spent $1,800. He anticipates that would go down to $600, which makes sense. I mean, if you have to work, there are going to be expenses tied to working. And when you're not working, you no longer have to worry about that. Insurance, health insurance. Now, this is really interesting. He's done some heavy lifting here for us. Uh, he spent $4,700 last year on health insurance. He anticipates that in the FI world, his post-FI life, that's going to go down to about $3,000 a year. And that's because he's already done the calculations. He says, my share of health and dental insurance he expects a bit of a drop under the ACA. Uh, he expects to get it down to $250 a month after the subsidies. This is really interesting. We need to explore this and, and show y'all how to do that calculation. Uh, frankly, it's something that I need to do myself. And maybe Paul can share with us uh, exactly what his process was. I know he's going to be starting a blog, pursuingfire.com. And it seems like that would be a great article. Simply, Paul, just how to go about calculating your healthcare expenditures in a post-file life. So that's very valuable that you took the time to add that. But just notice that when you go to a place where you do not have income, you're just living off essentially your portfolio, you are now eligible for subsidies. And that will also decrease the cost of your life. And then finally, I saved this one for last. His vacation fund of the $73,000 that he documented, 23000 of that was vacations. That is a a monster number. That is a completely unoptimized number. And it strikes me that with the, some of the tools that we're talking about on this particular podcast with travel rewards, he's going to be able to crush this bill and he's going to be able to have longer, more enjoyable vacations. Right, Brad? Yeah, without a doubt. And we mentioned this the last time we talked about Paul's case study. And this is this is the easiest area. I mean, 23,000 of his 73,000 was from, from vacations. So Laura and I, we're, we're talking about our future vacations and, and what that looks like for for our lives. And what it's probably going to be is us going somewhere for a month as a family. And that might mean Santiago, Chile to visit my brother or Lisbon, Portugal or Bangkok, Thailand. I mean, it could be anywhere. And with Airbnb now, you can rent an apartment for an entire month for really a fraction of what you would have spent for a luxury hotel. And there are going to be add-on benefits of that. Not only are you going to be part of the fabric of the city then, but you don't have to eat out all the time because you have a kitchen, you have a refrigerator, and that's going to save you a boatload of money. Paul is already doing travel rewards, so he's going to be able to fly for free or pretty darn close. So I think there's a real high likelihood he's going to be able to travel significantly more with his wife and do it for a tiny little fraction of this. So, yeah, I mean, that when you take out his 23,000 and you take out all the other reductions that he's mentioned, he's only down to $37,000 in annual spending. So whereas when we initially looked at this and said, holy cow, he's spending $73,000. I mean, there's a realistic chance this can be even after you throw in another, let's say 10 grand for, for travel, which I don't think it'll be anywhere near that. He's only at 47,000 then. So that's cutting a huge amount. And I think he can cut it even more, frankly. And yeah, I think, you know, that 73 number sounded like a lot, but Paul did a really 
incredible job of documenting this. I mean, he even had one-time expenses of some dental work that was $2,500 in there that those were part of his prior year expenses, but but that's not something that's recurring. So he's throwing that out right away. He's doing a lot of the travel reward stuff. So he had almost $1,000 in annual fees, but that was a very intentional decision because he said he was able to earn almost 300,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards miles or points. And that is there's going to be huge benefit for him down the road for that. So that was, in a sense, an investment that that he was making purposefully. I think he also had something like he was taking flight lessons, how learning how to fly. So uh, that's something that he's cutting out. That's another fifteen hundred dollars. So as Jonathan said, the seventy three is a very unoptimized version. But but even still, it's it's not that horrific. But when you get rid of a lot of this stuff, you're down to Paul's down to a real fraction of this. So I know Jonathan wants to jump in here. Yeah, I think it would be important, not so much that Paul is going to take this last segment and do anything with it, but just to document for for reality's sake that there is a difference between the core expenses, what you need to support your family, and then your your overall cost of living throughout the throughout the year. And you know, you have your core expenses, and then you have your fluff. And when you're relying on your monster portfolio, there there you are subject to the whims of the market, and that's why we talk about sequence of return risk, and that's where Big Earn really is able to add value to this conversation and help coaches through over the long haul. When the market does this thing, it goes up and it goes down. What number can you, with some confidence, rely on that it's going to be there the entire time, no matter what the market does? And so, for the sake of this conversation, let's just talk about a range though of what his expenses actually are. So we said that right now, last year he spent seventy three thousand dollars. Uh, if we just optimize his travel with all the other acknowledgements that he's already made, things that will go down, and we say we give him a $10,000 a year travel budget with the travel being optimized, so we've reduced his travel cost by $13,000 by using travel rewards, that's going to take him down to $60,000 a year in annual expenses. Now, Paul has already made some acknowledgements that many of these costs are going to go down in his post-file life. When you add all those in, that is going to take his cost down to $46,000. So we have optimized travel, and then we have Paul's own acknowledgements that life is less expensive post-fi, he's down to $46,000 in expenses. Keep in mind that he doesn't have any car payments. He doesn't have any mortgage. He doesn't have any debt. So all of that is made up from fluff. And when you get rid of the fluff, which is, you know, it's it's re- reasonable stuff that all of us have. It's Christmas gifts. It's leisure. It's entertainment. It's, it's upgrading the home. It's buying the throw pillows. It's all the little things that all of us do. It's not to say you can't do that. But when you realize that it is fluff, it's not necessary for life, and you get rid of that, we find out that his actual cost is closer to $35,000 a year. It's essentially like that is his minimum range. They will not be comfortable below that with the lifestyle that they currently have. And his upper range is somewhere around $50,000. So that's kind of the range at which their life flows and ebbs with their own personal life choices and decisions. And they can make those choices based on what they want to do, based on the confidence that Big Earn is able to relay with their sequence of return risk. And then also with whatever the market actually does on a year-to-year basis. You know, if they're in a situation where they have fifty to $60,000 in a large emergency fund in cash, and that's the money that they have each year, their money is old. All of their money is at least a year old. And so then as their new returns come in, that's essentially what they're deciding to do with it next year. So they can almost play this game one year ahead and see exactly what choices they want to make for the following year. What are your thoughts about that, Brad? Yeah, that's interesting. I've, I've never looked at it in, in that regard, but I think the long story short is Paul's in really great shape here. 
I mean, if he has 35,000 approximately of baseline expenses, Earn already said with Paul's $1.4 million net worth plus Social Security, which was a really insightful and essential point that Earn mentioned, that there's a really high likelihood of success for five for Paul immediately. And that was when we were even considering his yearly expenses at a significantly higher rate than than what they actually are here in, in post five. So I'm at the point where I'm pretty confident that Paul can pull the trigger any second that he wants to at this point. So I think this has been to me, this has been a really interesting case study. And I, I know I've enjoyed it. Jonathan, I think Paul can definitely choose Phi. Yeah, let's uh, let's get him to, to <laughs> when he makes that choice, send in a voicemail. I choose five. I need to have like the countdown timer, the everything, epic music score. I choose five. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, let's see here. So oh, you can include that, right? Yeah, I can include that. So guys, next week, Big Earn, uh, he's already sent us his final thoughts on Paul's case. Paul is in great shape to go ahead and pull the trigger on this. We'll release Big Earn's final thoughts on this on how it might all flow together in one of the next several weeks. Uh, the final piece to this is that this is very time intensive stuff and it's extremely value added. So we love doing it. But realistically, this will not be a one a month type case study. We will try to do a couple a year. Uh, most likely. But, you know, it's going to be as we have something that really tells a different story and really adds value to the conversation. And we're going to do it a little bit more slowly just to make sure that it's done the right way and that continues to tell a compelling story. So thank you all for your participation on this. And one other little piece that I should tease that we want to do, we are making a crowdsourced five plan Excel sheet. And Jason from Winning Williams is a an Excel guru. And he is helping just take these ideas and turn it into a reality. And currently it's just my brain trying to combine with him and come up with something. But I realize that's silly. And you have awesome ideas of, of things that could be considered for this particular Excel sheet. And the idea is that we want to move this off just a simple number game and bring it into people's lives and make it easier to comprehend and understand. So uh, if you have an idea of something that should be included on an Excel sheet, that's a conversation that we're continuing on our Facebook group every single week. And if you would like to be a part of that private Facebook group, you can just go to choosefi.com slash Facebook. And there's a simple opt-in form that will give you access to that. All right. So we want to just do one quick travel rewards question. So Lori wrote in with a question about cruises and basically, can you use travel rewards points to save on cruises? That is a very good question. I get it all the time. And the unfortunate answer is there's no fantastic way to save 100 percent of your cruise. There there just isn't. It, there are no top notch or top tier travel rewards points set up specifically for cruises. But that does not mean that you can't save money. That's the cool thing about travel rewards is there's almost always a way to save some money. Now, the cards that I would recommend for cruises are what we call the fixed value cards. The three most prominent versions of them are the Barclay Card Arrival Plus, the Capital One Venture, and the Capital One Spark Miles card. Okay, so the way that these cards work is that you just simply use that credit card to pay for your quote-unquote travel expense. Now, that's the crucial part. A travel expense can be airfare, hotel, rental cars, and cruises, among many. That's not the entire list, but cruises count as a quote-unquote travel expense. So really simply, you just use your credit card to pay for the cruise, or best case scenario would be if you have a couple of these credit cards, you can make multiple payments 
or partial payments for your cruise with each card. And then you can use your miles and just log in to your credit card account and redeem those miles against that travel expense. And it wipes whatever portion of the expense that you have enough miles to cover just off of your credit card bill. So the cruise company doesn't know or care that you have miles, it's irrelevant to them. You're just using your credit card to pay for it. And after the fact, you just log in and you redeem your miles and it, it wipes off a portion or, or potentially all of that travel expense off your card if you have enough miles. So really, that's the only significant way that I know of personally to save on cruises. But between the Arrival Plus, the Venture and the Spark Miles card and each spouse can can get each of those cards, you can save a, a pretty significant amount of money on a family cruise. So yeah, Lori, hopefully that helped. And for everyone out there, we do have a real significant travel rewards section on our site. Just go to choosefi.com slash travel. And we have a podcast dedicated to it. We have a bunch of articles. We have our, our top recommended cards page. So it's a, it's a really solid resource for travel rewards in general. So guys, this brings us to the end of this particular Friday roundup. And as usual, we always like to finish by doing our drawing. And it's always for, it's currently for a copy of JL Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. And we have two winners this week, Brad. Yeah, the first winner is Chris. All right, and Chris says, whenever anyone is interested in joining the FI community, I send them to this podcast and tell them to start from the beginning on episode one. These guys act as the hub for the FI community. They bring in knowledgeable guests and discuss different FI topics. Then they do another podcast to review what they learned. They read comments people left about the podcast. I mean, these guys stumbled on or strategically designed such a good formula to discuss FI topics. I think it works for many listeners. It's like they introduce, discuss, review, then reference back to add to it as necessary as they go. This is why it's important that you start with one and listen to them all. Because of this podcast and many of its contributors, I have dramatically changed the way I live and will retire over a decade earlier than previously planned. For 2017, I'm calling it, this is the best podcast of the year. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. I am high on fi. Thank you, Chris. That is awesome. Yeah, that's that's an amazing review. That's really amazing. Thank you, Chris. And yeah, our next winner, our second winner here is Amy. And Amy's review says, I've listened to every single episode of this podcast, some more than once. I really appreciate how well Brad and Jonathan work together and respect each other's slightly different perspectives. While they are both very knowledgeable, the show also really benefits from the variety of interviews they conduct with others in the FI sphere. They have a good rapport with each other and their guests and their enthusiasm for the topic really shines through. I'm excited to see where they take this. I think this podcast has a very bright future. Keep up the great work, guys. Yeah, thank you, Amy. And and to everyone out there, the best way that you can support us is just take one minute and leave us an iTunes review and just head over to choosefi.com forward slash iTunes. And that'll show you exactly how to how to leave a review. And like Jonathan said, we'll, we'll enter you into a drawing uh, for every five reviews that we receive. Take a quick screenshot or a picture and just shoot it to us at feedback at choosefi.com. We'll throw your name in a drawing and we announce our winners every week on the Friday Roundup. So we really, really appreciate the support. It is it is the best thing you can do to support us. So thank you. And you are, guys. Just so you know, Brad sent me a link the other day. Right now, Choose FI is listed as a top 100 business podcast on iTunes. That, that blows my mind. It didn't exist four months ago. It didn't exist. And that is because y'all are engaged. You're telling people about it and you're benefiting from the information. It's hitting you where you live. And we're glad we're able to help in some small way and we're able to dramatically 
dramatically decrease the time that you'll be on that hamster wheel. This upcoming Monday, we have Physician on Fire, and he is going to be expanding this conversation to include financial independence for the high income and medical professional. It's an extremely valuable conversation. There's an entirely different set of tools that they have to rely on, but obviously there's also a lot of overlap and they have a different set of challenges that they face. So I am very excited. I don't think this is his first interview, but I think we are one of the first to get him on board and it's going to be exciting to be able to share this conversation with you guys. So the fire is spreading, my friends, and we'll see you next week as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.